Hi, I'm Suparna Goswami, Associate Editor with Information Security Media Group. We will be talking about the new kid on the security blog, SASE, and it is a pleasure to welcome Lee Dolson, who is Chief Architect of Zscaler at Asia-Pacific Japan. Lee, it is a pleasure to have you today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Lee, SASE, or Secure Access Service Edge, as I understand, is an emerging offering combining comprehensive WAN capabilities with comprehensive network security functions to support the secure access needs of digital enterprises. What I want to ask is, how do you define SASE? Well, SASE is really an inversion of the traditional security model, which is this castle and moat model centered around the data center and the network, you know, because historically users would come into the physical offices, all the applications were hosted in the data center attached to the same network as those offices. And companies would build a security perimeter around that to protect it of various different technologies. And the, the challenge has been as cloud gets increasingly adopted that the workloads that were sitting in the data center, the data that was sitting in the data center is moving outside of the network. It's moving into infrastructure as a service. It's moving into software as a service. And likewise, that enables the users to not need to work in the physical office network. And increasingly, because many of the challenges you would see users working from uh, internet-based networks, even potentially if they're sitting in the physical office, if there's, if there's performance challenges. And then recently with COVID, of course, we see the vast majority of all the users for the majority of companies working from home, which is a network that doesn't manage, that is not managed by the enterprise. So SASE is really an inversion of perimeter where identity itself is the perimeter. The network doesn't matter as much. And we leverage identity then to provide access to applications with the appropriate level of security based on the context of the user and the device and where they're coming from. So uh, fantastically. So basically you're saying that it is a convergence of different technologies. I'm sure that this is a question that every CISO have in their mind is how the entire thing works. So it, it's, it is a very different approach from the traditional model, although it's using, you know, some traditional based architectures, but you know, the, the, the main architecture of this which is the less common architecture that's been widely adopted in the traditional castle and moat model is that it's a proxy based architecture versus a firewall based architecture. And so the, the difference between a firewall based architecture, which is stream based, it allows one endpoint, you know, which is a client to talk directly to another endpoint, which is an application. And it is just watching that stream as the data goes by a proxy based architecture is a full gateway. And so it's coming from the, the user as the client to the proxy. The proxy then has the ability to do, you know, comprehensive inspection and control, and then initiates another session onto the server. So the underlying architecture is proxy-based. And, um, you know, another good analogy for this is uh, if you think about like a fisherman, firewalls are incredibly good fishermen, but they're watching a stream as the water goes by and they're looking for bad fish, you know, trying to snatch those out of the water. A proxy is more like a dam or a gateway where everything is audited as it goes through. So the architecture starts there with this proxy-based centralized architecture. And then we're looking at, at a transport layer, the network and the endpoint routing the, the user traffic, the clients up to this proxy architecture through various technologies there, and then leveraging the identity of that user. And again, like I said, the identity becomes the perimeter to then decide in that central proxy-based architecture, what is the right level of security to apply to that user. 
So you spoke about proxy-based architecture. So if security practitioners are looking to take this approach, practically, how should they go about it? What are some architectural changes that will be required from their end? Yeah, so the answer is a little bit different based on the company and where their current investment is, what their priorities are. You know, for some of the organizations we work with, this focus more starting on the security and adding additional layers of security to their their current stack, you know, enabling security from more locations. On the flip side, maybe this is more around getting access to your internal applications in a more scalable way than traditional VPN. You know, in either case, the the answers are are slightly the same. It, It just depends on the order. So, If you're looking at your physical network locations that you're managing, this involves creating tunnels from your various network locations that have internet egress up to the SASE cloud, in this case being Zscaler. If you're looking at the scenario of the users working from home, then you're deploying an endpoint agent to allow those users to easily be connected up to the, the, the cloud to have the enforcement points done there. And in either cases, then you're gonna be integrating this with identity. But the journey will be slightly different uh, in terms of priorities based on the organization's current investments and their current priorities. Essentially, you're saying that the approach will differ from industry to industry. Uh, I'd say less industry to industry and more, more based on you know, the, the priorities and the spend. So every, every organization has already spent money, has sunk costs. And you know, that's something we're dealing with is the tyranny of sunk costs. So what are the current costs that are sunk that need to be, uh, that need to be retained for the, the time being? And then where are the pain points? And so those pain points and those priorities will be slightly different based on the current sunk costs. And then, of course, maybe some of these sunk costs, again, in this new world with COVID, you know, we're suddenly looking at sunk costs that won't be used for the foreseeable future. So there's certain an, an analysis to be done to see what makes sense in terms of letting sunk costs go. But typically that's the, the challenge is figuring out where are the existing investments that need to be retained? What are the things that can be retired, taken out? Okay, understood. So another approach or another concept rather, which has been spoken about a lot in the past few years is a zero trust approach. I want to ask you is how does a zero trust approach and SASE complement each other? Yeah, well, Gardner has essentially you know, defined zero trust as a, one of the key components of SASE. So with identity becoming the perimeter, that's sort of one of the key aspects of zero trust. Yeah, as Gardner defines zero trust, part of the idea is you never let the user onto the network. So instead of the traditional castle and moat model where I'm, I'm somehow letting the user into the network, whether that's by physically coming in and visiting the network in person or whether that's through a VPN connection that brings them into the network, then they have access to all the network segments. In a zero trust approach, we move this to an inside out model where the user's never allowed on the network. We use the identity of this user then, we're defining this up in the SASE layer. We identify who the user is, the context of their device, and then we can build this inside out connection where they're given granted access to the individual application. So despite the many advantages of SASE, which clearly you said, clearly shows that SASE has quite a few advantages. I'm sure there are some complexities as well. So for one, as I was speaking to, the, to some of the practitioners, enterprises that attempt to build their own SASE stack out of multiple vendors, I'm sure stitching this all together will be tough. What will be your advice to such organizations? Yeah, so one of Gartner's 
advisories, and, and this certainly makes sense, you know, everyone is being asked to do more with less, is to try to consolidate vendors, and SASE does enable that. You don't necessarily need to look at many, many different vendors, but it's certainly just because you're looking at a SASE architecture doesn't mean you need to go single vendor either. But what you should be looking for is we do see this new ecosystem happening where there's cloud native vendors that play natively in the cloud together. So if you think about the traditional multi-vendor approach and you think about where the operational burden was uh, in a a traditional on-premise based approach, you were managing appliances from multiple vendors and then you were stitching those together or service chaining them. And there weren't necessarily direct integrations between the vendors. So if you're looking at uh, the full future SASE model, you will find that there are many vendors that are actually tying directly together via API integrations and collaborating in the sort of future world. And the operational overhead for the customer then is much less because the vendors not only are taking care of the underlying infrastructure of their various services, but they're also taking care of the collaboration between the vendors through APIs. And it's simply a matter of the customer choosing which are the things that collaborate best together and provide the security service that they want. Fantastic. And if I have to now ask you some top three advantages of SASE, what will those be? How will you convince the CISO of a firm by naming the top three advantages of SASE? Yeah. So, you know, one of the, the biggest advantages is reduced complexity because you can consolidate the number of vendors. So historically, when you look at the, the, the legacy model with the Castle Moat, there's basically as different problems come up in the security and networking landscape, there are various point products that have been acquired to solve those problems. And there's a lot of complexity with the integration as I was talking about. So there's a lot of operational overhead from you know, the customer's internal staff or potentially to the managed service partners that they're outsourcing these functions to. So by moving to a native SASE model, you're reducing massive amounts of operational complexity within the organization across all these different vendors. You are possibly increasing your OPEX spend by moving this all to a service-based model, but in terms of the, the manpower and the skills that you need, you can focus your IT staff on things that are helping expand the business instead of on pure operational overhead. And the CapEx itself is also reduced dramatically because you're no longer buying appliances trying to serve these needs. It's a pure SaaS-based model. So a lot of complexity is being reduced you know, from an operational overhead, a CapEx overhead there. The other pieces, the next two really kind of go hand in hand and it's, it's user experience and reducing risk. So let's start with user experience. What we see as many organizations almost have a sort of institutional blindness to the fact that the security stack that they have invested in the data center isn't always in play. If a user leaves the network, most organizations we deal with do not require VPN backhaul to the data center 24-7. The user will then essentially, when they leave the network, they're working from home, they will be connecting to SaaS services directly. There is no network security involved. There's only the endpoint security that sits on the endpoint. And you will likewise see this even in the physical building because in many cases, the stacks of appliances cause massive amounts of latency as you service chain all these different technologies together. So you'll often see users even sitting in the physical building instead of using the corporate network they will be getting onto guest Wi-Fi or they will be using 4G because the user experience is so poor when they use the traditional corporate network. So there's a huge advantage in just the user experience being improved 
by leveraging SASE because the SASE vendors who are doing this correctly are guaranteeing the quality of service and the performance to the users. But then that ties in with risk reduction because with this new model, your users are always secured. You don't have this model now where users are secured when they're physically in the building on the correct network, but they're not secured when they're on guest Wi-Fi or they're sitting on their home network. So now with this SASE model, they're secured all the time. And that security is also up-leveled because this is zero trust. So unlike the old model where, okay, the user's in the physical network and they're trusted because they're physically here in the building, instead I've moved to zero trust where I don't trust the user's endpoint to have network access to all of my applications regardless of where they are. So it doesn't matter the network they're on, I'm gonna use that identity of the user and the context of their device to decide if they get access and what type of access they get to individual applications. And I'm never providing network access. So I've, I've dramatically up-leveled the security by adopting this zero trust model as well. Fantastic. And probably my final question to you, Lee, is how much are you seeing organizations or security practitioners opening up to SASE, the concept of SASE? You know, it's interesting because this is something that's been happening for, for you know, years. Uh, and, you know, Zscaler, you know, our founder, Jay Chowdhury, saw this coming over a decade ago now. In terms of organizations adopting this, we've seen big shifts in the last few years as, you know, dominant SaaS applications like Office 365 really become well adopted. But it's actually been increasingly interesting in these last few months because although this has been happening for years because of COVID-19, suddenly organizations are waking up to the fact that they've been living in a SASE world and not necessarily adopting the technologies that will best enable it. And so we've seen a lot of interest and a lot of adoption, a lot of exploration of how organizations can transform just in these last few months due to COVID-19. Greatly. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on SASE and its advantages. Thank you, Suparna. Really good to talk to you. Thank you. You are listening to Lee Dawson for ISMG. This is Suparna Goswami. Thank you for listening.